We can do glorious things one day and terrible things the next, and we can be blind to the terrible. Someone can be a genuine lover of Jesus Christ, animated by the gospel, and be utterly wicked. Welcome to another episode of the Upside Down People podcast. We're excited to have with us today, John Dixon. Hi, John. Good to meet you. Yeah, yeah, too, too. John's story is nothing but eclectic. Starting out as a professional singer-songwriter, he now works as an author, speaker, historian, and media presenter. He was the founding director of the Center for Public Christianity. He has published over 20 books, two of which have become documentaries, with a third released in Australia cinemas in June 2018. John is a busy public speaker, as well as a host of his own podcast at The Undeceptions. He has a first-class honours degree in theology from Moore College and a PhD in ancient history from Macquarie University. John has held a variety of teaching and research positions before moving to Whedon College. And I can go on and on about his academic accolades and teaching professions, but we are just so overwhelmed with joy to have you with us here today, John, and just to have a a conversation with yourself, particularly around your recent book, Bullies and Saints. But before we dive into that, how are you going? Uh, Pretty well. It's great to chat to um, Australians, honestly. (laughs) I think that's that's why I said yes. I don't say yes to everything like this. But um, but I thought, oh, you know, I miss I miss Australia so much. I have this awesome shot of Sydney that it's off it's off camera here, but just there on my wall. And I think it was a bad move because I walk into my office every day and I go, oh, oh. <laughs> a piece of your heart I'm missing an old friend. <laughs> anyway, but I'm doing well, and it's great to chat with you. Yeah, very cool. Well, I should actually also say um, welcome in terms of to our listeners as well, a friend of mine, Jib. Um, So quick backstory, John, is my co-host who was going to be doing this uh, interview or conversation with me, um, his wife has gone into labor uh, this evening. Um, So I know Jib's a good friend and he's a pastor at uh, the church I attend and I know he knows your work and enjoys uh, what you've contributed to us. Uh, he he's actually it's just worked out so so well. If you yeah to ask me, so welcome, Jib as well. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we dive into it, John, uh, I thought a fun little question to ask the little icebreaker is: if you could be a Marvel superhero, what would you be, or who would you be, and why? <laughs> I am I am so not into that. Now just tell me, is is Spider-Man Marvel or is he the opposite? He, he's he is. Marvel. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Well then I'm gonna go Spider-Man. And and my reason is um that my daughter loves Spider-Man. And she just came back from the premiere last night uh of the new Spider-Man. Yeah. Um and uh, she was raving about it. So I'm going with Spider-Man. Yeah. And the cup and the couple of Spider Spider Man movies I've seen with my daughter Josie, uh, he's cool. He's a cool cat. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. That's a great pick. It That's is. and a really good reason to as well. I think to be even <laughs> more your daughter's hero is great. Very cool. What what would you pick, Jim? Yeah, I think my historical answer is Wolverine, and that might be Hugh Jackman's influence. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, I was thinking, well, there's something about him being sort of virtually unstoppable. And then I think Spider-Man's such a good pick, though, as well. Just, oh, man. He's, he's so well-known f- for a good reason. He, he just gets to do the coolest stuff. Um, and he's pretty, um, in terms of, he, he's relatable, right? Yeah. Especially the new one. It's like anyone could be a Spider-Man. And that's the thing. I think my understanding is the original design had no exposed skin at all because the idea was that literally anyone could be Spider-Man. That it didn't matter who, who the actual human right. character was, uh, that anyone could identify with him. So that's good too. I didn't know that. There you go. There's a little, um, what would you call a piece of free information? <laughs> cool. Well, so John, to start off, you're a, uh, a public advocate um, for the Christian faith. And with your the, this book, Bullies and Saints, some have found it curious that it exposes the underbelly or failures of Christianity. Why, why have you decided to, yeah, write the, the way that you have in... Mm in giving an honest historical account from what I could see of, of the Christian journey? The short answer is I've had a lot of conversations with people who know enough about the history of Christianity to know that it isn't all pretty. And, um, if you just try and defend everything about Christianity, we'll go the easier route of saying, um, oh, they weren't real Christians. You know, so then you keep the score perfect on our side because whenever there's a bad one, you say it wasn't a Christian. Uh, people who sort of know what they're talking about just find it really shallow. It's a really shallow way to operate. So um, having had so many conversations about that and look, frankly, having read the sources, you know, <laughs> I've actually read the letters uh, wow. of Crusaders, say, in 1099. Um I know what they got up to. <laughs> I know yeah. what they thought. And it's not pretty. And then, look, if I had, you know, my own heart, I, I know that I am too frequently a jerk, um, that I find the idea of trying to defend everything, you know, every criticism of Christianity, uh, just doesn't work. Mm. Um, it, it, it doesn't seem valid. Yeah, good. Um, much better to just be honest and you know, acknowledge that you know poverty of spirit is an affliction of us all. Uh, the remarkable thing is that Christians did such beautiful things. That's the real miracle story. the The idea that they did some really crappy things is just you know that's just humanity. I mean, I don't think anyone can argue Christians were crappier than the average person. Um, you know, the Greeks and Romans were doing fine on the war and torture and bigotry front long before the church came along, right? They didn't need the church to go, I wonder how we brutalize people. (laughs) Oh, maybe the Christians can teach us. That's just not how it happened. So I I don't deny that Christians have done, performed things that are just universally terrible in humanity. The really interesting question that I also want to explore in the book is what what is the unique contribution of Christianity? Yeah, because there's you know no way that it was war, and that wasn't a unique contribution of Christianity. Right. Uh, and and so I want to do both of those in parallel. That's a long winded answer to your question. Yeah, so good. That's a great answer. I think it's it's very practical, um, and also it's very uh, Christian. So look at the biblical model of of bringing everything into the light 
Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't. And it was Jesus who said, um, take the log out of your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And and he, and he wasn't, and he wasn't talking to the Romans. He was talking to his disciples in Sermon on the Mount. Take the log out of your eye. And then you see the speck in their eyes. So like our wrongs are meant to feel like logs and the wrongs of the others are meant to feel like specks. Yeah. I find that like, that's a principle that, uh, really sort of, I won't say haunted me, but somewhere between haunting and inspired me, yeah. uh, through that writing project. Yeah. Well, just going off the, the back of that. So in, uh, specifically in that, that part of the, the book where you're talking about the, the log, um, in your eye, you, you mention this disconnection between the life of Jesus and the behavior of his followers. Do you mind elaborating a bit further on that? Yeah, well, Jesus makes us look bad. Yeah. <laughs> the, problem, the problem with Christians is Jesus. <laughs> you know, like if we were just being compared to anyone else in history, you know, some other, I don't know, great military leader or something. Right. Christians would just look like normal crappy people. Yeah. Um, but we, we follow we follow the the one who said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who mistreat you, uh, who gave his life on a cross. That's the one we follow. So he's our problem. I mean, I, I guess I'm saying that a bit flippantly, and I don't mean to be too flippant. But I often point this out to, say, Christians who are a bit annoyed at me for being open about all the terrible things that Christians have done. They they say, oh, why'd you do that? Why'd you let the team down? Or they'll say, oh, but the Muslims were worse. You know, they'll talk about the Crusades. Right. What the Muslims were doing is much worse. And I sort of, I listen to that and I say, well, even if that's historically true, Muslims aren't following Jesus. They're not the ones yeah. following someone who said, love your enemies. Muhammad never said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. It's Jesus who said that. So let's not compare ourselves to medieval Muslims. Let's compare ourselves to Jesus. Yeah. And as I say, Jesus makes us all look bad, which is kind of terrible and beautiful all at once because there, there is at least this perfect model that we can and should aspire to. Mm-hmm. And despite all the terrible things Christians have done. Uh, one of the theses of my book is that in every century, a reformer rises up, yeah. looks around at the church and says, we're all going to hell. <laughs> we're, worse, we're worse than non-Christians and, and calls us back to the way of Jesus. I mean, it, it, th- th- this is this is true, you know, in the fourth century, uh, in the fifth century, in the sixth century, in the seventh century. Um, wow, they, they're just you know, Christianity has a has a self corrective mechanism that that no matter how bad things get, that self corrective mechanism always comes back, and I, and I think the self corrective me- mechanism is partly um, look at the log in your own eye, right? Like it's built into our gospel. Yeah. But it's mostly Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're just reading your gospels and you just think how amazing he is. And, you know, you think of all those medieval uh, Christians who would take communion mm. and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. God gave himself for me. Huh. And like it didn't dawn on them every week, 
But every now and then it really hit them and caused them, as I say, to self-correct. I have no idea what your question was now. I probably answered some other question, but that's very good. Obviously you, you've mentioned that you've, you've read the very letters, for example, that the crusaders passed or, or wrote themselves. And, uh, I'm sure this would have been the accumulation of years and years of, of your research, um, to what we have now in a nice succinct historical view of of the church in, in your book um at any stage was there any piece of history that you found particularly challenging um to include or can i have two sure um i mean you know i i could i could maybe list 20 but um two two that come to mind uh one is um the the chaplain to the crusades was a was a bloke a french man called Ramon Aguiar. And so he's like meant to be spiritually caring for, for the chaplains and inspiring them to for the crusaders and inspiring them to love Jesus and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and his letter uh, describing the taking of Jerusalem in July 15, 1099, um, is gleeful hmm. in its victory. Um, it, it's pretty much the only great victory the, the Crusaders had. One of the best kept secrets of the Crusades is that they were a whopping great big failure. But the but the taking of Jerusalem was a success. Sure. Um, and and they slaughtered probably ten thousand Muslim men, women, and children. Um, and Ramon Aguirre just is delighted at the victory and at the bloodshed. And he talks about you know our horses rode through. Um, uh, blood uh, up to the bridles. Now, it's a massive exaggeration. That's impossible. Um, but it was a pretty bloody slaughter. And he thanked Jesus for it. So, yes, that was very challenging. Uh, but, you know, the other the other one that I find super challenging, and I'm pretty sure I quote some of it in the book, um, is actually Martin Luther. And the reason I quote this is because some of my Protestant friends say, all the bad stuff's got the Catholics. Oh, sure. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's how they get out of it. Oh, yeah, Crusaders, Inquisitions, yeah, Catholics. Doesn't apply. Boy, the Catholics were terrible. Doesn't apply to Protestants. <laughs> well, Martin Luther wrote a book against the Jews that is the most anti-Semitic thing you will have ever read in your life. If you go and read wow. it, it's called The Jews and Their Lies. And it was written, really, it's mature Luther. It's 1543. Um, and, and he just castigates European Jews and then ends with seven recommendations, including burning down all their synagogues, burning all their books, um, killing Jews where they refuse to um, you know, act appropriately, not giving them any protection for travel, uh, and on and on he goes. This is Martin Luther, oh, wow. the man who rediscovered justification by grace through faith. Um, now, I'm happy to say you know, lots of his reformer buddies uh, didn't approve of what he wrote. Sure. But the fact that such a key hero of Protestantism could write such a thing mm. was really challenging for me because I had to come to grips with the fact that the greatest heroes are sometimes, not always, sometimes terrible, flawed, wicked 
human beings. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I came out saying, I think Jews, all the synagogues should be burnt. Uh, I think they should not have any um, monetary responsibility. They should only be farmers. And if they try and have monetary responsibility, we should kill them. This is what Martin Luther said. If I came out saying that, you would probably think I'm not a Christian, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. You'd think, how has yeah. the gospel taken heart, uh, hold in, in John Dixon's heart if he if he thinks that? Um, now, I'm not saying Martin Luther wasn't a Christian. No, <laughs> I think no. he was a Christian. For sure. But, but, that's, but that's sort of my point. Someone can be a genuine lover of Jesus Christ, animated by the gospel, and be utterly wicked. Mm. Yeah, it's just like you said before, how it's so easy to, for us to point to people being unchristlike and say, oh, they don't count, they're not Christians. It's yeah. really hard to say that about Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to say. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But our second thought ought to be, man, I wonder what my blind spot is. Yeah, good. Yeah, very good. Very good. I, I wonder what 200 years from now, people will be saying about, you know, Jib and Caleb and John. Mm. Yeah. You know, may, maybe they'll look back on us and I don't know, our materialism, could it be that? Mm. Um, maybe. Um, I don't know because it's a blind spot. So how yeah, could I? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that that's a great, a great point that you bring up because reflecting on on our current context, it's it's very much within popular opinion that if someone has a flaw or has um, a controversial perspective or something like that, you would bring them down. And we've seen it in a number of these different movements where people are burning statues or tearing them down and um, because of personal flaws in people's lives. Um, so how mm. how would you say as Christians, we, in this current context, we sort of journey that? Is it a, a thing of vulnerable honesty? Um, yeah. What What's your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think that the Christian gospel has a lot to speak into this kind of, I mean, they call it cancel culture, but I know that's become a bit of a pejorative. Sure. Um, but, but I think we have, I think we have a bit to say because we, we, we're, we're not the ones who think we're, we're all good through and through and only yeah. getting better. Yeah. You know, our message says we're, um, all rotten. Yeah. Um, not totally rotten in every area but you know sin has touched every area of our lives and we're all broken and so on the one hand we are not shocked to learn that a great human being like thomas jefferson mm. was also a complete jerk in that he held slaves um and so when people want to pull down his statue as they do here in america and change the names of schools, you know, Jefferson High all around the country, there's changing the names. Wow. Thomas Jefferson, one of the biggest contributors to, to sort of a free America. Yeah, sure. um, Christians, I think, can can account for this by saying we are all flawed. Yeah. And this is not to minimize what he did, but, but we are such a mess. Human beings are such a mess that we can do glorious things one day and terrible things the next. And we can be blind to the terrible. Yeah. And um, in a sense, it's possible to honor the good of Thomas Jefferson and to lament the terrible. Um, and so, you know, why was Thomas Jefferson High called Thomas Jefferson High? 
not because they wanted to honor slaveholding, right? <laughs> no, no one thinks that. Yeah. They did it because Thomas Jefferson came up with this unreal idea of a country where freedom reigned um, and where government couldn't tell religion what to do and religion couldn't tell government what to do. And he's got all these contra contributions and and the the um, Declaration of Independence and all these you know wonderful contributions. Um, that's why they're honoring him, mm. but let's do it knowing that he, like the rest of us, was a jerk Yeah, at times. And that nuance may get lost, you know, it's hard, it's hard to join a protest with that kind of nu nuance. <laughs> um, but, but Christians can neither condemn and cancel a Thomas Jefferson you know, outright, yeah. uh, nor try and whitewash yeah. Thomas Jefferson. And that's talking about a secular person, yeah. let alone, you know, just turn it back to Martin Luther for a sec. Yeah. You know, at one level, you can understand that we should cancel that guy. Mm. But actually, no, because, you know, he was blind to his faults and we see them with great clarity and we can't excuse him for that. But just think of all the amazing things he also did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. It's um, it's sort of like if we had to cancel Martin Luther, we'd have to almost stay silent ourselves as well because we're cancelling ourselves, like you said. Yep. I think yep. a, a beautiful yep. quote or that I really enjoyed in in um the book was you said tribalism lurks in us all. Mm. It's that that mentality yep. that the problem, the heart of the problem, is the problem of the heart. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I really like that in a lot of your work, John, um, that it's an invitation to some who think Christianity is just all bad and also to some who think oh, Christianity must somehow be all good. And you can say, well, look, come and see how good and bad it really is um, with mm. as little bias as I can muster um, from your point of view and, and with your you know expert experience. And in that invitation, people encounter a real Christianity and hopefully discover a real, real Christians as well, and discover that Christians are also not about being the best, about being perfect, about achieving eternal life, which is a perception that some people, many people, still have about Christianity. When they imagine heaven, they imagine it's something that you earn your way into. Whereas, of, as yeah. you mentioned before, like the like the crux of Christianity is that none of us earn our way in, and so Jesus did. Um, yeah. And so, in looking at this clear, plain, warts and all, beauty and all, flowers and all, history that you lay out. You also lay out what Christianity actually is. And I hope a lot of people discover what that really is because of that beautiful invitation you offer. Mm. Yeah. Well, hopefully Jesus is the um, the star of yeah, the good. saints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I'd love to hear what encouragement uh, you'd be able to give to Christians who may be experiencing anxiety and doubt when it comes to holding their faith during this current cultural context when standing up for what they believe in um, may leave them feeling abandoned or isolated or uh, like you mentioned, the, the cancel culture. So their name being defamed or their families being defamed. Mm. Um, well, it's a Christian specialty going back to the beginning, <laughs> uh, really. Um, you know, I've got a, a couple of chapters on you know the early Christians and 
the the persecutions that they endured and and so on. And I, I don't I don't think anywhere in the Western world mm. we're we're being persecuted in anything like the way the early Christians did. But what I found so encouraging about the early Christians is that uh, they were really good losers. Um, they endured mockery and loss of property and um, sometimes death uh, on on large scale with a, a, you know an, a stunning grace in those first couple of centuries. Um, and we have the primary documents to prove it. So it's not just sort of Christian piety to, to think this. Right. Um, and it, it may be tempting to say, oh, you know, because they were all slaves and poor, um, you know, they were like a beaten down dog and that's why they were so humble. That was the theory of someone like Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the great 19th century atheist. He thought early Christian ethics were sort of born out of a slave mentality. Right. You know, that's where we get humility and compassion and turning the other cheek. It's out of this slave mentality. Like like when you kick a dog long enough, right. the dog just is always down like this. Um, but I actually think it's the opposite. And the primary sources prove that it's the opposite. These Christians thought they had already won because Jesus had. They honestly believed that Jesus had been crushed and crucified by the Romans and yet was raised to life by God and sits at the Lord's right hand. Um, and so that's the story they live in. So they can af they can afford to be cheerful and humble when people are criticizing them um, and worse, you know, when they're being executed they, because they know that they've already won because Jesus has already won. Now, that's a long-winded way of coming around to saying, I think that's where the encouragement is to be found for the Christian who's feeling beaten over the head, to look back to Jesus Christ uh, and know that through suffering, he was vindicated. Uh, after death, he experienced resurrection. And we are the death and resurrection people. So we should be so confident that we can go out into a skeptical, critical public Cheerful and humble, jumping into every debate. Absolutely. I, I'm not for withdrawing and being a little mouse in the corner. I'm saying, get out there, be confident. But when you're criticized, when you're ostracized, when you're excluded or canceled, just thank God. Jesus said, be cheerful, rejoice when they say all kinds of evil things about you. Like he really said that. So what's the path to it? I think the path to it is to know. That's what happened to Jesus, and he was vindicated. The story, we've already won. And so let's let's lose with a winning mentality. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you can be cheerful in every setting because of that. Yeah, I love that. And and taking it one step further then, um, to, to someone who feels unequipped to enter into these conversations that you're talking about, who's... I don't think it's we have to go too far to find a conversation that um yeah will really put us in that position but how would you encourage someone who feels unequipped what what could they do or yeah uh well boy um if you feel sort of let me wind back I think every Christian is already equipped to know how to answer okay. how emphasis on how <laughs> Even if you don't know what. Very good. Okay. And the how is already given to us in 1 Peter 3.15 and in Colossians 4.6. The how is 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, but with gentleness and respect. Okay. So already you can answer any question with gentleness and respect. So take any, you know, any question like, why do Christians believe in hell? Or why, why are Christians crusaders? Or why are Christians homophobic? Right. You already know how to answer that by not being a jerk, yeah. by being respectful and gentle. And in Colossians 4, 6, um, the apostle says, let your speech always be full of grace so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay. So that's the how, yeah. right? Everyone can do it. The what is trickier. And the, you know there isn't a Bible passage that says you must know how to, like content-wise, how to answer every question. It does tell us how in the mode of speech to answer every question. It doesn't tell us what. Uh, so I don't think you should feel bad if you don't know how to answer the question about hell or same-sex relationships or transgender or any, any of the difficult, difficult things. Um, but there are some resources out there yeah. that if you are conscious that you can't no, you don't know the content. You, you you know the how, but you don't know the content. Um, go and read those uh, those resources. And look, honestly, probably the best one written in the last ten years, in my view, um, is by Rebecca McLaughlin, yeah. who's uh, a British academic who now lives in um, in America, and her book is called Confronting Christianity. And it is 10 chapters on 10 of the curliest things people throw at Christians. I think it's 12. And she... Sorry, 12, is it? I bought it recently. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> it's, it's been a while since I've read it, but I just know it's awesome. Yeah. Um, um, and in fact, I interviewed her for my podcast, yeah, so was... I should know it's 12. <laughs> um, but it's she is the model of how and what to yeah. say. Awesome. And she she deals with all of those problems that I, that I listed and many more. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great example. I yeah, I haven't to buy it recently, and <laughs> did I do? To just wait to shut people down. No, no, I'm joking, no. I'm joking. <laughs> but it's um, or just uh, maybe bringing that question full circle in a way. Um, an influential book for me was uh, *Spectator's Guide to Old Religions* by John Dixon. Um, yeah, and I remember reading that, and it gave me confidence that um. I should be in pursuit of truth and understanding wherever someone else is at. And so it's easy to think, especially if you were uh, born into your faith, uh, you were raised into your faith in your family, that yeah. you may be also born into a team and that you have to stick to your team and that you have to make sure you're yeah. only listening to your team. And they're, they're definitely helpful, really helpful, really intelligent people like John Dixon, like Rebecca McCoughlin, like lots of other people as well, resources from Christians. Also, it encouraged me towards a pursue the truth. If you're right, you'll be affirmed in being right, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, if you're wrong, it would be good to learn that you're wrong. And also, if you're, you're not just affirmed in, your, in being right, if you're right, you're also able to help other people towards the truth as well. And this is, this is life-giving truth that we believe in. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's born of that confidence we talked about earlier. So yeah. if you're unconfident about christ then you'll be very nervous about reading other op other perspectives yeah and um, being honest about the criticisms of christianity but if you're super confident in jesus christ if you know he's already won he's exalted to god's right hand that's my story well i might as well just you know i can i can jump into anything yeah, yeah. um i can listen to any terrible argument 
against the Christian faith, and um, I'll be I'll be the better for it. Mm. So it's it's weird, isn't it? That you know, often it's the insecure Christians who are the narrow-minded bullies. Sure. Mm. Because you know, every teacher in a school knows that the bully is usually the most insecure person. Sure. Yeah. Right. Because it's sort of compensation. Mm. Um, they're not confident really, and so they you know, use their, you know, throw their weight around to try and build themselves up. Um, and, and, and I think there's a version of that in Christianity that sort of insecure Christianity can be anxiously loud and bully and narrow-minded. Mm. Um, whereas super confident Christianity can be, um, can lose well. Yeah. Good. Uh, can, it can afford to lose well. It's more cheerful and it's more willing to find whatever is true out there. Um, you know, because all truth is God's truth, yeah. And it's not about giving up on your convictions about Christ. It's the opposite. It's 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 deep confidence in Christ. I think frees you from that anxious engagement yeah. with um, with the secular world. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's super good. I was going to ask a question. Um, in, in terms of one of the, the things you mentioned in, in the book is that bullies are common, but saints are not. And mm. the question would have been, how do we flip the script on that? And I think you, mm. you answered it beautifully just then. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is that, um, you know, sort of to go back to something I said right at the outset, the fact that Christians have been involved in wars and anti-Semitism and violence and bigotry and all that, like, that isn't the surprising thing because, you know, non-Christians in Greece and Rome and Babylon and Egypt, they were also into those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. So that's just Christians behaving, not Christianly, that's Christians behaving humanly. Yeah. When I say saints are not common, bullies are common, saints aren't, what I mean is the really unusual things in Christian history were things like the birth of hospitals for all. Completely unknown in the ancient world, but given to us by Christianity. Mm. You know, churches started hospitals. Bishops were obliged to have a hospital in their diocese from from as early as the fifth century. Um, schooling for all was given to us basically by Alcuin of York mm. in uh, in the eighth century, um, who insisted that the boys and girls, poor and rich, can have schooling. Charity for all, like these things that we now take for granted were entirely Christian gifts uh, to our to our culture. So I keep coming back to this this principle that um, the interesting question isn't have Christians done the terrible things that are common to humanity? Yes, they have. The interesting question is what is the unique thing Christianity has given our world? Very good. The thing that you didn't get anywhere else. And that list is the list that really sticks out. Yeah. And and so I what, what I want to say to Christians who, who read the book is, um, yes, own all the terrible stuff, but look at the beautiful tune Jesus gave us, which can be heard in every century yeah. and must be heard today. Yeah, very good. Um, yes, you're going to be a jerk, but on top of being a jerk, also be the kind of person that would start a hospital, yeah. the charitable person, yeah. the gracious person, um, and that's what will stick out. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Where where um I can't remember who 
says it, but it just reminds me of the the quote that um, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. In that mm. sense of um, yeah, we we can through following and fixing our eyes on Jesus um, be a part of His restorative journey of restoring humanity to himself, bringing about human dignity to, to those who are downcast. And I think it's amazing how we are broken, but our focus shouldn't be on ourselves. It should be on, on Christ. And uh, I really enjoy how your book is a reminder of that. It's the, the honest look of like exactly what you're saying, John is own the brokenness, but then there's hope and there's joy in who Christ Jesus is. Um, mm. Yeah, very good. So aware of the time, it's often been said that we look to the past to predict the future um, or to prepare for the future. And a lot of your book has, is an, a historical account of the church um, and what, what she's been through and experienced and I'd love to hear your thoughts or, or musings on where you think the church is, what, what the future looks like for her, um, mm. where she is now and where, where you see her going. Um, I've sometimes been asked in interviews about the book, what was the worst thing in church history? And they expect me to say the Inquisitions or the Crusades or whatever. I actually think it's what happened in the last 20 years, and that is the uncovering of the child sexual abuse um, uh, scandals and cover-ups of the church. Mm. That was not just a Catholic thing, it was a Protestant thing as well. Um, so you know, it's almost like people will look back on this sure. 21st century yeah. as the dark ages of the church, mm. not not the ninth century. Um, now, that's a very depressing thing to say in answer to your question. Um, but it's also, um, my answer is, is, is that I think we are going through a very painful refining. Um, I wonder if Christians have become so used to power that they covered up child sexual abuse, you know, in, in the late 20th century and early 21st century. Um, because they wanted to maintain their power. They were more on about the honor of the church as an institution in society than they were about caring for little ones. And then I, you know, in, a, in the current situation we find ourselves, you think of scandal after scandal of, um, you know, mega church pastors. Mm. Um, and, and I think maybe the Lord is just uncovering our obsession with celebrity culture. Sure. That Christianity has just bought into celebrity culture in a way that is just wicked. Um, I suspect we are going through a refining mm. and it's going to be painful, but also uh, beautiful uh, because out of refining comes, you know, the, the more pure version of things. So I want to be sensitive to the lessons of this moment of criticism of the church and of true scandal in the church and, and take it as a warning. I want to take the log out of my eye. And, and if we do that, Jesus said, we will see clearly. 
well, that's that's what I think we should all hope for. Yeah, very good. That's yeah, that's a thank thank you very much for for that encouragement. I think it's something that we all need to reflect on and almost invite conversation to engage in criticism um, to not if there's criticism of the church to not just put up defenses but actually to explore and yeah like you said if it's a blind spot you can't see it yourself so you have to be humble in being able to take on critique and uncover what the truth is and um, from the truth there will be freedom so yeah it's it's a great great perspective um yeah and we have to stay close to jesus or we're going to be wrecked yes yeah very yeah, good very good thankfully we've seen through history as you've highlighted how frequently the church has corrected itself um yeah. really looking to jesus and it's the holy spirit at work uh, holy spirit is uh fiercely protective of the church and we can yeah. trust in in uh, him working that out um yeah. and we can look to him and and try and work alongside him rather than just have it happen to us mm-hmm. yeah yeah well said mm-hmm. well thanks so much for your your time john um really appreciate you guys all yeah. of your your thoughts and your wisdom and yeah i i've got so many questions i would have loved to um just unpack <laughs> further but yeah i'm sorry for talking too much no no, yeah, no not, at all. not at all um it's just been such a privilege hearing your your answers and um yeah i just encourage our listeners uh if they haven't already read the book to grab a copy of bullies and saints um and yeah just it's a it's a great starting point for that honest look at owning your faith and yeah you've done such a a great job at that thanks so much john thank you guys bless you both Yeah. yeah real joy to meet you john cheers see ya